I'm really moved to my heart, very much so. I was talking to Bishop Freddy just now. You know, I'm really moved in my heart, Bazalana. Very thankful with what God is doing among us. I've seen this before. I've seen this before. At the, at the, at the dawn of the coming in of the charismatic movement in the early 80s, Atmospheres like these that are pregnant with God's presence. A people whose hearts are so stirred and they're so hungry for God that they will they'll come and be there before the service starts. They, they, during the service, they bring their hearts and their worship unashamedly. Their praise is strong. Their worship is deep. Their hunger is intense. And their desire for God's word is unimaginable. I've seen this before. And it is in atmospheres like these that certain things that are eternal are born. It's in these kinds of atmospheres that God marks your life. This is the kind of atmosphere that immunizes you as a young person to have an attraction for God. And other things are not attractive as much anymore. This is what makes you, when things are bad in your life, you run back to this because this is all you know. This is all you know. I'm telling you. It is in these kinds of atmospheres, you pastors who are here. I sat in services like this when our church was still small. It is this kinds of atmosphere. When you go back to your pulpit, you are a different person. I was telling Bishop Freddie just now at the back that, you know, one of the things I've really been thankful for, and I won't tell you all the rest of it, but to some degree that over the years, ever since the church started, one of the things that's been such a blessing is the manifest presence of God in our midst. And I'm saying to him, for that reason, I will fight to the bitter end to retain that presence. And anybody who would want to do anything to temper with it, I will fight them to the bitter end. And if people want to bring strife, confusion, if people want to bring a virus in here, if people want to bring sin, arguments, strife, unforgiveness, bitterness, unfaithfulness, no integrity, I'll fight them to the bitter end. I'll tell you why. Because I know more than anybody that what has made this ministry thrive outside of all the other decisions and right things we've done is the presence of God among us. Yeah. 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 You see that? that, that that's, what, that's, what, that's what makes us run from work and come here at five o'clock for a service that starts at half past six. Oh, come on, somebody. If you feel me, just say amen. Yeah. Yeah. This is what makes young people come alive and love church and love God. Yeah, that's, it's, not, it's not our eloquence. It's certainly not our good notes. As good as that is. But is that there is something that the human heart hungers for and longs for. And that's the presence of God. Not these fake things that are done today. 
things that are noisy, showy, things that are made up and people's emotions are stirred up and people make noise but their life never changes. No lasting impact. We, we've, got to, we've got to have an anointing that will penetrate the evil of the day and bring about life change. Because if our lives are not changing, then we are playing church. Mm. I've seen this before. We were born in it, some of us. We were marked by it as pastors. And, and people see our churches grow, they think we have some great plan. And I say, no, no, no. It's the presence of God. And we'll look after it and guard it. We'll make sure we, we don't do anything that step on that presence. We don't want Ichabod. We want the kabod, the glory, the weight. Because we know when the glory is there, when the weight is there, lives change. Yeah. That glory changes a murderer into an evangelist. That glory changes a drug peddler into an apostle. That's what the glory does. That glory takes an irresponsible man and makes him a responsible father. Takes a girl who runs around with men and make her an in, in intercessor. Oh, come on. Am I talking to people in the house tonight? Can you sense that presence and that glory coming upon you and filling your life? Is that glory that has changed our families? Some of us, we were among the first ones to respond. And you'll see it more on Friday when I talk about it. Covenant involves family. When God touches you, he wants to touch your family. So you got to do it right. Then I say, because God's using you as the door, as the entry into your family. If you will respond and correspond with him, he'll come into your home. If it doesn't happen in your lifetime, it will happen after your lifetime. We're not talking about playing church here. We're talking about having an encounter with God, genuine encounter. Well, we don't have to force people to do things. They do it because God has touched their lives. Yeah. I've seen this before. I've seen this before. I've seen it before. When, when people pray and you can't stop them from praying because they pray with so much intensity and they're so taken by the power of God. When you see as we preach and as we minister, people get touched by God and there's nobody who says, take this or do that. They do it on their own. And their hearts gravitate towards God. And when we live here, we know that we've had an encounter with God. We may not know how to describe it. And when you look at your life, your life is changing. And your thinking changes and your words change and your song change and your, and your appetites change. You, you want to pray more. You want to read the word more. You want to be in church. You, you want to serve God. You don't know what's going on. That's because you were touched by the glory. I've seen this before. I was telling Bishop Fred, and I say, no, Bishop, I'm thankful with all my heart. Amen. And very humbled by it. 
I know people don't come on a Wednesday night. God has to be there somewhere. And some of us, we know the difference between ourselves and God. All right. Whew. Jesus. All right, let's talk about the, the threshold covenant tonight. The threshold covenant. Let's do a very brief recap. I'm not going to go long on the recap because I want to get to the threshold covenant. The blood covenant, as we said, is one of the oldest known covenants in the human family. Research reveals that in years gone by, most if not all of the different nations, cultures, ethnicities of the ancient world participated in this ritual of a blood covenant. It's a known thing. And that is why we see traces of it, and I'm going to talk about some of the things tonight that you'll find very interesting in our culture. Traces of some of the practices that even now in modern times we engage in. And I, it was quite interesting. I was listening to one preacher. He's Chinese, you know, and, uh, and he was just talking about what they do in the Chinese culture that's, you know, found in blood covenants. But then he said something else. He said, even in, in, in today, you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Uh, when people are going to make a deal, they say, we're going to cut a deal. Have you ever thought about that? Why are they cutting a deal? It's the cutting of covenant. It's the cutting of covenant. We'll come back to that. Some of you are still sleeping. Look at your sleeping neighbor and say, Ooh, eh, eh. it's still too early for you to sleep. Not, not, yet, not now. So there's different practices that we engage in, like the shaking of hands, as I was explaining. It came from when people cut a covenant, they would make an incision on their wrists, clasp their hands like this, to sort of mingle their blood so that their, their arms come together where the incision has been made. And they'd wrap that together, signifying the intermingling of the blood. But this is where the handshake comes in. So you see today, after people sign contracts, they shake hands. See, it's, it's a, it's, it shows we've just signed a covenant. Because contract and covenant, even though covenant is stronger than contract, but traces of that. What about tattoos? In those days, on the place where they have made an incision, they would, they would rub in ash there so that a permanent mark is left after the wound heals. So the tattoos, that's where they come from. You thought you were in fashion. Mara, I call Nam Sasan. That is all these practices. So in this series, as I said, we will learn how God in his wisdom has used some of these practices found in our culture. Some of them were very pagan practices, by the way. But God somehow finds a way to redeem these practices and use them for his own kingdom. The word covenant, as we said, in the Hebrew, it's the word berith. And it gives the idea of cutting. So, you know, when you read the Bible, it says, and God made a covenant. It should actually read, and God cut a covenant. 
That's how it should read. It gives the sense of cutting or the cutting that causes blood to flow or an incision that causes blood to flow. That word covenant also means a compact. In other words, it's an agreement. Why? Because it was made by passing between two pieces of flesh. I'm sorry, but, but so I'm not going back to everything. I'm just reminding you. So if you, you know, I can't go and explain everything. So the Hebrew word berith, from which the Old Testament word covenant is translated, means to cut where blood flows. That's what it means. Berith. Then you have the Greek equivalent of the word berith, which is the word D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E. And that word speaks of the mutual pact between two people which binds them together. So a blood covenant bound you to someone forever. It's a compact. You lose your life to the other. You become part of the other. And so, God always made covenants. Now, I want to show you tonight what is known as the threshold covenant and how this blood covenant was made and everything that went with it and how God uses that to bring it into his kingdom and use it. You know, God always finds a common ground to meet men. You know, you read in the book of Isaiah, God says, come let us reason together. And so God has a way, Barcelona, of when he comes to us, he, he comes to us in a way that we can understand. But he starts with where we are, what we understand, to take us further to something that we don't know. So God, like a good mathematician, always works from the known to the unknown. So tonight I want to show you something that you've read in Exodus 12. If you can go there with me, please. Now, these are many verses that we're going to read, and, and I'm sorry, Vazalana, we have to read all of them. Is that okay? Yes. Are you okay with that? Ne? Yes. Because one of our problems is we only read one verse, and that's why we don't understand what we're talking about. Yeah? Look at your neighbor and tell them, Basongo Chimbiranga verse born. Basongo Chimbiranga verse born. Tell them again, Basongo Chimbiranga verse born. Exodus 12, please, let's have it up on the screen in the New King James Version. All right, I'm going to read. Okay, you can read with me if you want and follow me. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, keep going, please. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. I don't want to go into everything there because others in Kasefetsi. So, speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, Every man shall take for himself a lamb. Okay? Every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for the household. So every household, every household must have its own lamb. Huh? So you, you can't do pollution on behalf of somebody else. Okay, next verse, verse 4. And if the household is too small for the lamp, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's needs, you shall make your count for the lamp. So every house must have a lamp. 
So even if you are a small family, you can mix with the others, and I want to take it further. Even if you are a stranger and you are an Egyptian, you could come into the house of the children of Israel, you've got to have a lamb as well. Are you there? Are you there? Next verse. Your lamp, watch this now, shall be without blemish. A male of the first year. Note all those things, please. Underline or mark your iPad. I don't know what you're going to do, but just do something. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight or in the evening. And they shall take some of the blood, they shall take some of the blood, put it on the doorposts, and on the lentil of the houses where they are to eat it. So you kill it, you take the blood, you pour it on the doorposts and on the lentil. Are you with me? Yes. Are you with me? Yes. I'm not convinced. Are you with me? Yes. All right. They shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted, underline roasted, in fire. So you eat the flesh, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Keep going. Verse 9. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire. <laughs> its head with its legs and its entrails. Next verse. You shall, you shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Keep going till verse 14. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist. Your sandals on your feet, your stuff in your hand, so shall you eat it in haste. In other words, this symbolizes something. Okay, remember, they are still in bondage. They are still in Egypt. They have not been set free. But God is instituting this feast, what we call Passover. And he's saying, even if you haven't been set free yet, when you eat this lamb, You've got to be in the position as somebody who is moving from one place to the other and getting out of bondage. Then he says, it is the Lord's Passover. Oh, why, is he, why is he, verse 11, it is the Lord's Passover. Let me see which verse do I want to end. Yeah, we'll go to verse 14. Keep going. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Oh. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, no, 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 no. Let me have your attention. Let me have your attention. So if you are in that house where the blood has been sprinkled, whether you are an Egyptian or whatever, as long as you are in that house, the plague doesn't touch you. 
But say you are an Israeli, you are a Hebrew person, and for some reason you decide not to be inside the house, even if you are God's child. As long as you are not where the blood is, the plague gets you. So this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And everybody said. Let me highlight some things to you. There's a lot I can highlight, but I want to highlight just a few things that I think will be of interest to what we are talking about. Verse 5, God says they must take a lamb, and he says a lamb shall be without blemish. He said it shall be a male of the first year. Watch that. Now we'll come back to that. The lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6. He says you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts, on the lentil of the houses where they eat it. Now, let me give you the background. Now, when God said this to the children of Israel, it wasn't the first time that this kind of ceremony was introduced to them. They knew about it. Not only them, but other nations of the world knew about it because there was a, a practice that nations entered into. That is so similar to what we have read. Let me explain what it is. This chapter, therefore, to me, serves as a perfect example how God reaches into ancient practices within culture and extracts certain principles for, 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 for practice and to teach us the principles of the kingdom. So God here redeems an idolatrous practice and sanctifies it for his purpose. We're going to be very deep tonight. I want you to listen. Now, in ancient times, there were no temples, no sanctuaries, no basilicas. And therefore, when people worshipped, they made an altar at the entrance of their home. Note, the practice of worship was an integral part of what happened at home. And this is what it's supposed to be. Worship must begin at home. We've lost that. The problem is that today we go to church to be spiritual. We go to church to worship. But the reality is that worship begins and must begin at home. That's what it was in olden times. People did not leave their home to go to a place of worship. They worshipped at home. Therefore, how their homes were built and designed incorporated the practice of worship at home. Mama and I, we saw this in Thailand. They took us to a place that was built by the ancient kings. And it's quite a big place. And how they built, they've got rooms on different sides, some on the north, some on the east, some on the south. And then in the center of it, there's a place where 
uh, the, the, the patriarch sleeps, but there's also an altar there where they worship. So, you know, worship, people didn't have to leave, leave home to go to church. They had church at home. They worshiped at home. Now remember that. Houses preceded temples. And therefore, with worship being done in houses, in homes, the house father became the earliest priest. So the man must be the priest of his home. So, watch this now. Sacrifices for the family were therefore within or at the entrance of the family domicile. Their altar was the doorway or the threshold into their home. So, there's a thing called threshold. All right, now, now let me give you an example. Threshold, it's made as a complete thing. A threshold is this. When, you, when they build houses, and I'm going to read that later, but I'll read it now. When you build a house, the entrance to a home, at the bottom, they would have a stone or a plank that would be right at the bottom, that would be uh, 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 erected on the ground or, or connected to the ground. That's a threshold. All right. So that threshold served as the altar of sacrifice. Very, very important. Now listen to that. That's going to help you. So at the threshold, that's where they made sacrifices. Also, they, they made holes there. And groves there in the threshold or the doorway. And they called that place the crossover place. We want to take it slow tonight. So as I said, a threshold is a piece of wood or stone under the door. It is a door sill or a doorway. It is the entrance to a house or a building or a doorway. So the threshold there for Mamelambazalona is part of the foundation of the house. So at the very foundation of this home, this home is built on worship and built on the foundations of the gods that they worship. That's what it was. I think Thank you. So you should know, therefore, the importance of how what we worship affects the foundations of our home. And I'm going to come back to that later, but I'm, I, I was thinking about it so much. That's why God is so careful and graphic about who we get in covenant with. More so even in marriage. Because if you, if you marry somebody whom Jehovah God is not the God or Jesus Christ is not the Lord of their life, 
you are putting something foreign in the foundation. And you build a house on a swampy foundation or on a foundation that is not the God you serve. And people fight with us when we say, you can't marry him. I say, Lord. And people fight, but what they don't understand is that, listen to me, if, if you don't set your home on the right foundation, you're looking for trouble. The threshold, therefore, forms a boundary. Together with the post, the lentil, and the door, watch this now, the threshold separates what lies outside of the house and what lies inside the house. It's at the threshold where we decide who belongs where. And so, it was at the threshold, therefore, where they would sacrifice animals to their gods. They would take the animal, slit its throat, and pour the blood on the threshold. <laughs> and then they would dip hyssop. Hyssop is a, is a bushy plant which has twigs. So they would dip hyssop into that blood and then sprinkle it. This is the pagan practice. Sprinkle it on the doorpost and on the lentil. Kimole choba let's one day. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, you don't like my preaching anymore. So they, and then they sprinkle. Therefore, it is at the threshold where people. Dedicated their houses, their caves, their tents to their God. Not only that, they would bury their idols underneath the threshold. So it's a very powerful place. Now, when you visited them, <laughs> if you are a guest who is worthy of special honor and they wanted to welcome you, They would then slaughter a, an animal. They would shed the blood of an animal on the threshold of that home. By doing that, this was a means of adopting the newcomer into the family. This is why Rekabi Samachad. Okay, more. I didn't say it's right. I'm just explaining to you there are traces everywhere in every culture. I didn't say what my stance is on that. I'm just explaining. So, they would shed the blood on the threshold of the home, watch this, as a means of adopting the newcomer into their family and making a covenant union with him. Now, for every such covenant in blood, it included, much this, an appeal to the protection of the deity. So as they did that, they call on their gods, 
calling the powers of their gods to ratify the covenant to be present by their, to be present. And that they are aware of the covenant that is cut between the two parties as witnesses. So whilst you are still outside as a guest, the host takes a lamp or a goat, tie its feet together, lay it on the threshold of the door. Then they would rest their left knee on the bound animal, hold its head with the left hand, whilst with the right hand they cut the throat. Then they would retain this position until all the blood has flown from the body upon the threshold. And then the lamb would be removed and you as a guest, you would step over the blood. Crossing over. You step over the blood being very careful not to step on the blood. And so as you step across the threshold in this act, you become a member of the family and you become a family that you become one who is bound by the threshold covenant. And whatever their gods are, whatever they have becomes part of you. So to step over and across the threshold is to accept or, re- or ratify the proposed covenant. But if you trampled upon that blood, you are actually showing contempt to your host. So the threshold as the family altar on which the sacrificial blood of the covenant, uh, of a covenant uh, welcomed you as it poured out this blood. And so this practice was counted to be a, sac- a, a sacred one. And so you are not to step upon that blood. You are to pass over it. And when you crossed over it, you were to cross over reverently in recognition of the deity who is present. And as I said, because they had also placed their images there, and there are gods there. You are also saying by crossing over, I'm adopting your gods. <laughs> and I'm becoming one with you. Let's come to marriage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You may not be aware that marriage custom in various parts of the world, even in the ancient and modern times, illustrate this idea of the sacredness of the threshold as the family altar. Research shows that in portions of Syria, when a bride is brought to a husband's home, a lamb is sacrificed on the threshold. Now, in their case, she must step across the output blood. So she's got to step on the blood, and this marks her adoption into that family. You are adopting. You are being adopted in that, to that family, and you are adopting their gods as well. <laughs> so blood on the threshold as an accompaniment of a marriage is still also found among the Armenian Christians in Turkey. After the formal marriage ceremony at the church, the wedded pair with their friends proceed to the bridegroom home. 
At the moment of their arrival, a sheep is sacrificed on the threshold. And over the blood of which the wedding party steps, they step over the blood to go into the house. Now, you may have wondered why is it that in Western culture, after the wedding, when the bride and the groom go on honeymoon, the groom picks up the bride and steps over the threshold. The reason for that is because at honeymoon, that is where they're going to cut covenant. And why God insists on us, both men and women, to be virgins is that on, the, on their first sexual encounter, blood must flow. And it is through the flowing of the blood that they are joined together in a sacred covenant. Bazalana, we have treated sexuality so cheap that we keep cutting covenants with all kinds of people. And our world tells us it's your body, it's what you want to do, it's your life. They mustn't worry about it. But what they don't tell you is that you are crossing, you are going over the threshold and invoking all kinds of things. When you bring this person into your life, you bring their gods, you bring their worship, you bring their attitudes, you bring their spirit, you bring their everything. Oh, I know you don't want to say amen, but you better say amen. And if you understand the sacredness of marriage and sexuality, then we're not going to play with it. Because marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. Now, let's go back to the scripture we read. It's very interesting that when you read what we call the Passover, the Passover was originally called the threshold covenant. Or it was called the crossing over covenant or the leaping over covenant. So when time came for God to deliver the nation of Israel from Egypt, he used what they knew. They understood what was going to happen that night. In God telling them to take the lamb and do all of that, they were understanding God is cutting a blood covenant with us. It was very clear. Let's go through a few things with you. Number one, the heads of each household were the ones who had to take the lamb of the first year. So it's the head of the home, the priest of the home, who leads spirituality. And this is why if you are the head of your home, male or female alike, and if you are a man in the home, and if your husband has passed or you are a single parent as a woman, you become the head. You must be the priest of your home. So the head of the household would take the lamp of the first year. Somebody say first year. Yes. Say it again. Yes. This reminds me, Barcelona. I thought I'll say it at the beginning. Yesterday I talked about the five gospels. It's the four gospels. All right. When I talk about the five stones, the five stones, I, I, what I wanted to say was the five stones of the ministry gifts. Not of the gospel, because the gospel did fall. So, kia lukisa. Just explain to your neighbor what I just said. Even when it has four feet, it falls. I don't know what we say. 
four legs. Here we go. So the head of each household was to take a lamp on the first year. They were to do this on the tenth day of the first month and set it aside until the fourteenth day. And then in the evening, or on the evening of the fourteenth day, the lamp was to be killed, and his blood was to be sprinkled on the lentil and on the two side posts of the household door. The household itself was to feast upon the body of the lamp, roasted in fire, with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. I'm just reminding you of what we read. They were to eat it in haste. They were to be dressed, ready to leave Egypt at midnight hour. Everyone say midnight hour. Yeah. At midnight, the death angel would pass through the land, and every house that did not have this token of blood on the door lentil would suffer judgment. This judgment also was the death of the firstborn, both men and beast alike. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. That is in chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, the feast of Passover originated in the passing over of the angel of death over the blood sprinkled of the doors of the Israelites. Or even the Egyptians who cared to believe the gospel word. Now, watch this. All this about the threshold covenant points to Christ. I want to show you everything about it. It's amazing. The threshold covenant includes marriage. It has people doing that. But all of that points back to Christ. Let me show you how. Number one, Jesus Christ was the first year lamb. First year there speaks of firstborn. Every firstborn male child was set aside to serve God. That's what it was in those days. Every firstborn male child was set aside. So God says, take the first year lamb. Jesus Christ was the firstborn male child set aside. So already in the threshold covenant, God is already talking about Jesus Christ. So, so what happened with the threshold covenant, historically, that's what happened. They poured the blood, they made the sacrifice, the angel of death came, but even if that happened historically, there was another meaning that what happened there was also a foreshadow of the things that were to come. So the happening was, it had a double-barrel meaning, a double-barrel application. Watch this, Barcelona. I said to you since Monday, remember, the New Testament is the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. The Old Testament is the picture. So in the Old Testament, you see all these things happen. So when you come to the New Testament, you don't understand why Jesus is the firstborn. You don't understand why he suffered. You don't understand why he was uh, checked out. You don't understand all of those. And I'm about to show you all of this thing. The picture is in the Old Testament. Let me show you. Number one, he was the firstborn. Number two, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was the Lamb without spot or blemish. The Lamb in the Old Testament had to be a Lamb without spot and blemish. Remember, Jesus was brought before the religious leaders and they were trying to find fault with him. After being examined for a while, they finally brought him before Pontius Pilate. And in John 19 verse 6, Pontius Pilate says about Jesus, I find no fault with this man. This is a Lamb without blemish. I don't find anything 
wrong with this man? Even the accusations that you're making against him are not so. Give me water. I'm going to wash my hands. I don't want to be guilty of innocent blood because I find no fault in this man. Can I hear an amen? Jesus Christ, as we see him in the Old Testament, he is the Lamb of God. And the scripture says, every house needed the Lamb of God. When Jesus came, John identified him and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The Jews understood when he said that, they remembered the Passover covenant. Oh, so what we were doing there with that Lamb was showing us to the real Lamb of God. Those other lambs had to be slaughtered every year because their blood could only cover your sins only for one year. But my goodness, we have a Lamb that has covered our sins forever and forever. And he is the Lamb of God. Watch this. That takes away the sins of the world. The lambs in the Old Testament, they didn't take away the sins of the world. They covered the sins of the world. They appeased the anger of God. They pushed back God's judgment only for one year. So the priest had to come back year in and year out. And year in and year out to renew. doesn't cover the sins. It takes away the sins of the world once and for all. Can I hear an amen in the house? And the lamb was killed at midnight. And on Golgotha, Jesus died in the evening. But after the lamb was killed, it was roasted. Jesus was roasted in the fires of persecution. As they struck him and hit his body, put a spear in him and hit him again, his flesh was being roasted. God says, don't boil it. He said, roast it. You got to roast it. Because my son is going to be roasted. And not only did the flesh get roasted, they took the same roasted flesh and they ate it. On that night, Jesus said to them, take it. This is my body. Mamela, broken, roasted. This is my body, broken and roasted for you. They understood what he was talking about because they had the picture of the Old Testament and they were looking at the jigsaw puzzle of the New Testament and they understood why his body has brought healing for us. His stripes have brought healing for us. Oh, Isaiah says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brings peace for us was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. One translation says, and by the stripes that wounded him, we are healed. Can I hear an amen? We are healed. 
That's why healing is your right. Healing is what belongs to you. Healing is what was bought for you. You don't have to walk in sickness and disease. You don't have to allow the devil to play around in your body. Jesus was roasted for you. Jesus suffered for you. Healing is your right. You know why? Because you have crossed over the threshold. That's why healing is your right. Healing is your right. Healing is your right. And the blood of the lamb was applied on the lintel and in the doorposts. And the blood of Jesus has been applied on the lintel and the doorposts of our hearts. On the lintel and the doorposts of all our lives. It's the blood that protects us. It's the blood that makes us not to be afraid. It is because of the blood that death cannot kill us. It is because of the blood that the death angels cannot come our way. It is because of that blood that when we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In fact, even when death comes, it has no sting at all. Paul says, oh, death, where is your sting? Where now you bite, but you don't have any sting. Because even when you kill me, you just kill my body. My spirit transitions to another level. By you trying to end me once and for all, you give me a promotion to be in heaven. When they were murdering Stephen and by hitting him with stones and persecuting him and doing all kinds of things, instead of him being angry with them, instead of him looking at them and being bitter with them, instead he looks up at heaven and he sees heaven open at the time when he's dying. And he tells them, he says, you know what? I see the heavens open and I see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of the Father. I'm not going to be bitter with you. I'm not going to be angry with you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. God into your hands I command my spirit. The blood has been applied to our hearts. Even when death comes, it can't kill us. We just transition into heaven. Come on, give the Lord a big hand for that. Somebody give the Lord a big hand for that. And then inside the house, on the other side of the threshold, there is safety because of the blood. None were to go outside the door of the house until God had commanded it. Inside the house, there's safety. Listen, you are safe in the hands of Jesus. Safe. Because of his blood. As, as I close, listen to this. This is amazing. It's very interesting that the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for threshold, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for threshold means crossbar. Crossbar. And the Arabic word in the New Testament for threshold means someone who threshes wood or a carpenter.
So in that Smolanyana wood, at the threshold, is the complete story about the carpenter who's going to bear the crossbar. And in that, God was talking about Christ. That's why our gospel, if it doesn't talk about Christ, then I don't know which gospel we are preaching. Because everything is about him. Everything was made by him and for him. The Bible says it is him who fills all in all. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the firstborn from the begotten. He is the Jesus Christ that we read about all the way. Who is the seed of woman all the way through the Holy Writ. It's all about Jesus. No wonder Paul says, you know what? It's in him that we live. We move. We have our being. And in that threshold wood, once again, we take the picture of the Old Testament and we look at it and we assemble the jigsaw puzzle of the New Testament and we realize the threshold covenant is a picture of a carpenter carrying the crossbar. And it's all about Jesus who made a covenant with you. And so when you allow his blood to come into your life, when you allow his blood to be poured on the doorpost of your heart, when you allow him, when he tells you to come out of your Egypt, and you say, I'm coming out of my Egypt. I am leaving Egypt. And I'm going to engage in the threshold covenant. I'm going to recognize that it is your blood. I'm going to honor your blood. I'm not going to trample over it. I'm not going to play around with you, Jesus. I'm just going to enter. And when I'm in the house that has the blood, my life is safe. No matter what comes my way, my life is safe in the hands of Jesus. And when we realize how God has made covenant with us, how Jesus died on the cross for us, then we learn to love him more and serve him more. And when we worship him, we do it with meaning because we know if it wasn't for him we wouldn't be here today. Why don't you raise your hands and just worship him for a while. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 
Pray right where you are right now. Hallelujah. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pray in the Holy Ghost. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Come on, worship him for a while. Worship him for a while. Thank him. Worship him for a while. Worship him for a while. Come on, everybody. Will you all stand on your feet, everybody, please? Worship him for a while. Come on. Raise your voices and worship Him. Worship Him for a while. Yes, it's all about you. 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 Remonde Beria Celabaria Labacora Barababa. When the music fades and all is stripped away, an assembly comes. Knowing just to Something that's of worth that will bless your heart. Sing with us, everybody. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. That's right. That's right. You search much deeper within Through the weapons of me You're looking into my heart Why don't you raise your hands and tell them tonight That's what we're doing King of endless world. Come on, sing everybody. No one could 
Yes, Lord, it's all about you. You feel all. You are in all. It's all about you. It's all about you. Thank you for the covenant you have with us. Thank you for the threshold covenant. Oh, we bless your name. Just remain standing, everybody, all over the place. Listen to me tonight. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. I won't call you to the front or anything. Just give us another song for sure. Marriage is sacred. And sexuality is sacred. But we live in a world that... has made us believe that we can do whatever we like with our bodies. And we've cut covenants with all kinds of people. Invoked all kinds of God's influences, beliefs, bondages, demonic strongholds. through covenant and we wonder why certain behavioral patterns have now become a part of us and why certain attitudes now 
seem to be haunting us. And we didn't realize. When we handed over that sacred part of our lives to someone else, we joined in covenant. And in covenant, everything they are, good and bad alike, becomes a part of us. Imagine if it's two, three, four, five, ten, twenty, all kinds. Don't even know who they pray to, who they are. You don't even know any of that. See what you've opened your spirit to, your body to, your life to. But you know the good thing? The blood of Jesus has the power to break, destroy, disconnect, deliver. Only if genuinely we ask God to forgive us and genuinely we say it stops today. I'm not going to call you to the front. But all of us, we have things we want to pray about. Whatever it is in line with this message that you feel you want to commit to God, you realize covenant was overlooked. Covenant was broken. But I want to bring this before God. I want to renew. See, the good thing is we have the Old Testament or Old Covenant. And you have the New Covenant. In other words, there's a new covenant that can override all other covenants. And when you make a covenant with God tonight in worship, in prayer, and say, God, I make this covenant tonight, I'm turning from that life. And by faith, I appropriate the blood of Jesus over my life. That today begins a new life. Would you pray in the Holy Ghost right where you are? And whatever it is you want to talk to God about. Talk to God about. That's right. Ramanduriya Soko. Talk to God. Doesn't matter how many years ago. Doesn't matter. But as you look back, that event with the revelation you have now, with the insight you have, with the Holy Spirit shining a light, you realize your life was affected since that time. But tonight, the blood of Jesus still has power. Tonight, close the door on the old. Open a door for the new. Oh God, you said if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ramboria Sakarabo. Ramanambro Sokoro Mama 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 Makoro Debrebis. Shatarababo. Rande Beketarababa. And after you prayed, 
receive God's forgiveness. Say, Father, I receive your forgiveness. There is a sweet anointing in the sanctuary. There is a stillness in the As the last prayer item, give us another one, please. As the last prayer item, as I was praying, I just felt in my heart, I want to call on the priests of the homes. If you are a father in the home, or maybe a single parent, female, but you are the head of your home, or maybe you are a child and it's a child-headed home, you are the head of that home. I want to pray for you because you are the priest of that home. I want all the priests to come to the front. I want us to make a commitment to God tonight. Just walk all the way to the front. All the priests, even the music group here, if there's any priests away. Just step forward, please. Step forward so that we want everybody to come. Just all the way to the front. Let them step forward. I want all the priests. All the priests. All the priests. Ria Hubo Keep walking, priest. Keep walking. Can you look at me, all of you priests? Please look at me. You are the ones who set the tone in your homes. You are the one. When Job woke up every morning and in prayer brought his family before the Lord, he was symbolically kneeling at that threshold, making sacrifices. Determining what comes into his home, what comes out of his home. It is you. And sometimes as priests, we are not faithful. We don't pray for our families consistently. We don't bring them before God consistently. And remember, because you are the priest, whatever you do in terms of your faithfulness, whether it's tithes, it's offering, it's integrity, it's living right, filters into your home. 
And I felt tonight, God speak to me strongly. That homes and destinies lie in your hands. And tonight, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to God. To say, God, now I know as the priest of my home, I'm going to make sure that at that threshold, I pray all the time, I release the blessing. My late father did something I never understood. Literally, he made sure every morning he's the first one who exits the home first. He'd never allow anyone to leave the house before he left. I never understood that. Not only did he leave the house, he would walk around the yard and pray for his house. Yeah. I never understood that. I can't say I leave the house, but I try and pray in the morning at home. And every day when I've prayed, I've brought my home as the priest of that home. And you are the one who's the doorway. You let things in, you let things out. Tonight, I want us to do something that's radical. I want us as priests to decide never again will we allow foreign things to come into our home. Never again. As the priests in our homes, we set the tone. We say, only that which is of God. Not only will you be praying, but you become an example in the way you live, in the way you handle yourself. Remembering that all that you do has an effect on your family. Even the children who are still in your loins it has an effect. Are you ready to do that, priest? Would you raise your hands to God? Would you follow me in prayer and say, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I take my rightful place as the priest of my house, as I make a commitment in the name of Jesus that I will walk in your covenant, the covenant of your word, the covenant of your principles, and I invoke the blood of Jesus over my life and over my family in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a priest of my home, I will bring them before you. I'll pray for my family and bring it before you. I will not allow any foreign gods, foreign influences, foreign belief systems into my home. The threshold of my home will be filled with the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus will be applied on the doorpost and the lintel of my home. I will not allow strange things, but only the power of God. Tonight, I take my rightful place and I declare whatever evil influences that are upon my home, whatever evil powers that sneaked into my house and came through the door, I annul you. I break you. 
I paralyze you. I bind you. And I cast you out. I cast you out. I cast you out. In Jesus name. I speak the word of God. Over my family. The blessing of God. The favor of God. The revelation of God. I release upon them. The power of the Holy Spirit. Let the peace of God. Rule in my home. Let the spirit of God. Fill my home. All evil influences. I cancel you now. In the name of Jesus. The word of God. Will be the standard. In my home. The word of God. Will be the values. In my home. And I commit myself. To be an example. In all these things. And tonight. I cut covenant. With you my God. That your presence. Your life. And your power. Rules over my house. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. And somebody shout amen. And amen. Hallelujah. And Father, I thank you for the blessing. I thank you for the life change. Oh God, I see wayward children coming back. I see evil influences that have tormented children as they sleep at night. Fights and strive. Tensions, coldness, divisions, murmuring. Relationships that have become indifferent. I see life, freshness, newness. I see the peace that passes all understanding. I see the light clearing out the darkness. I see the Holy Spirit replacing the powers of evil. Even things that were dark into those yards through evil powers they are being annulled even now in the name of Jesus. We declare victory tonight. We declare the power of God. Just like Joshua. We make this declaration. As for me. And my house. We will serve the Lord. And bless these priests. Anoint them. With anointing and power that they've never known before. Let them operate on a higher level and a higher dimension. Let the canopy of your glory surround them all the time. Let the cloak of your anointing be upon them. Give them wisdom to lead their homes. Give them strength and courage to make the right decisions. Give them insight to see what the enemy is trying to do. And let the victory of God rest on them. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody shouted and said, Come on, everybody shout at the suit.